So um, we are continuing a series that we started last week. If you weren't here because of the weather or for whatever reason, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, the series is called Seven. And the concept of the idea is this, that, you know, sometimes it's easy to get away from the basics of our faith and sort of just assume that, uh, you know, because we have knowledge there that we've, we've gained all the blessing that God uh, has desired for us to gain. And, and so this series is really just a, a look back at some of the fundamental things that every Christian needs to know. So we're calling it seven, seven fundamental things every Christian needs to know. We, we talked last week about the cross as a place of exchange. You know, in the shadow of the cross, there's things that God accomplished, amazing, amazing things that God accomplished for us. And, and so some of the things we talked about is we exchange our sinfulness for God's righteousness in the shadow of the cross. We exchange, um, you know, the curses that we deserve because of our sin for God's blessing in the shadow of the cross. We exchange our death for Christ's life and so on and so forth. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. I want to bring another message today on the cross. And I want to start off with a story. I heard the story about these two brothers. And they were having issues with each other. They lived next door to each other. They owned property uh, adjacent to each other, next door to each other. And um, they were having issues so much so that the older brother took his... uh, the heavy machinery, I'm trying to think of the name of it right now, and he dug a trench. Uh, uh, help me, help me. Backhoe would work. Okay, backhoe. Bulldozer was the one I was looking for. Oh, yeah, so he took his, bu- his bulldozer, and he dug a trench because there were springs on their property and created this sort of this, this uh, divide between his property and his brother's property. And so the younger brother was upset. He was frustrated. He's thinking, you know, what am I going to do here? So he calls a carpenter. And he, he tells this carpenter, he said, my brother uh, made this stream, dug this huge trench between my property and his, and I need to get even with him. I want you to build a fence. And so um, the carpenter's like, okay, simple enough. I can build a fence between your property and your brother's property. So the carpenter goes to work, the younger brother goes off and does his thing for the day, and for the next couple days he's away, and he comes back, and the carpenter is finishing up his work. And the younger brother looks and says, what what have you done? Because he noticed there was no fence there, there was actually a bridge. And he said, I have built a bridge between your property and your brother's property. The older brother came over. And he saw what his brother did, even though his brother had nothing to do with it. And they, right there on the other side of the bridge, embraced and made up and and, uh, mended all of their differences because of that bridge. Isn't that powerful? Today I want to talk to you about the cross as our bridge to God. Today, uh, as we look at what Christ has done, I'm I'm trying to frame it in the concept of a bridge. And the reality is we live in a broken world. I mean, what's going on with those two brothers in that story is not uncommon in our world, is it? You know, people are broken, people are hurting, relationships are hurting, people are hurting financially, people are hurting physically, 
People are hurting emotionally. We went into the inner city yesterday with Feed the City. We ran into some amazing, amazing people. And we realized there's a lot of brokenness there too, you know? And we go expecting, you know, God, would you move on people's brokenness? Would you minister to people with your love? And I want to just tell you, our team was so amazing. There was about 18 people that went out yesterday, uh, some for the very first time. And we met some amazing people. It was powerful. There was healings taking place. Uh, people weeping right in, their, in the parking lot uh, after just being touched by the presence of God, the love of God, receiving prophetic words and ministry. If you've never tried Feed the City, I would encourage you to do it. It is, is profoundly amazing. It's amazing to see what God does with some people that really, they just, they're just going out with the mindset, I'm going to love people today. And uh, it, it is so awesome, awesome to see. And what we were doing yesterday was building bridges between people and God. God was using us to build bridges between people and himself. Two weeks ago, when we had uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, Football Sunday, what were we doing? We were building bridges between people and God using this thing called football. And I, I don't, if, if you were able to come, I know you had a great time. In fact, on a side note, David and Sarah Wright are not here today. They're, uh, they're doing a little mini vacation before she has her baby, their first child. And so they're away this weekend. But I want to just say something about them. I want to brag about them for a minute. They did an absolutely amazing job pulling off that football Sunday. I mean, and the whole purpose behind this football Sunday is to build a bridge between people and God. You know, people who are lost, we have, there's NFL players sharing their story about how God did some amazing things in their lives. And, you know, and so in those kind of events, we want you to invite people who don't know Jesus, you know, we want to encourage you people. And sometimes I hear, well, we didn't go, I don't like football or, you know, this. And, and I think you're missing the point when that, stuff, that kind of stuff happens. We're building bridges between people and God. It is not about you. I'm sorry. I love you. But listen, we've got to get over ourselves and say, listen, God has me here for a reason to make a difference in this world. And so it's all those kind of events to say, I need to make a difference. God, will you use me? Will you find a way to use me? Back to David and Sarah. They are some amazing people. We are so blessed to have them here. And um, I just, I want you to know and talk behind their back a little bit. Uh, because, you know, we are blessed. And they did such a great job. My wife and I were sick for two straight days. We didn't even walk near this place on Friday or Saturday before the football Sunday. We're in bed sick. It was horrible. I know a lot of people have been battling the flu. But David and Sarah pulled it off with an amazing team. They put together a team. There were so many people that just sacrificed their time, their energy, their efforts to be here to pull that off. And I just want to thank you uh, who have been volunteering either for that event or for anything we do, whether it's a weekly thing. Um, you know, maybe you're here every week, you know, serving with the children's ministry, ushering, whatever. I appreciate so much those who give of their time to serve the Lord. I just thank you. Let's give everyone a hand clap for that, those who volunteer. We do what we do because we're building bridges to God. You may think what you do is insignificant. It's not insignificant. You know, every week people have an opportunity to meet with God. On Football Sunday, there were several people that said, I want to give my life to Jesus for the very first time. Several people that said, you know what, I want to recommit my life to Jesus. What we do makes a difference in our world. And we don't ever want to... Uh, um, 
minimize that effort. So um, thank you for those who are serving. If you're not serving, I would love for you to take steps to find an area for you to serve in because we want to make a difference in our world. Amen? Okay, so Jesus did some amazing stuff on the cross for us. He, he became, uh, or what he did became a bridge for us to God. I want to look at a passage here um, in 1 Corinthians 18 to launch into the message today. 1 Corinthians, I, I said 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, just so you could really find it because there's really no 1 Corinthians 18. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says this. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And what you're seeing in this verse is really there's this dividing line. To some, the message of the cross makes no sense. It's like, that is ridiculous. To others, it's the power of God that saves them. It's, it's, it's the power of God for, in their lives. It transforms them. It changes them. Why such a dividing line? Jesus says the cross is an offense. It's offensive, you know? The, this cross and what happened on this cross is offensive. And so Paul writes that it's foolishness to those who are perishing. It makes no sense at all. And, and really, what, what he's saying there is that... Um, the, the, the cross, because of this dividing line, the cross strikes at the human heart of pride, the pride that each and every one of us carry, you know? It, it strikes at, at this, this, this thing that we carry called pride because our pride says, I can do it. I can do it on my own. And Jesus is saying, you may think you could do it on your own, but that's foolishness. And he writes in big red letters, you can't do it. On your own. God made a way and there's one way. There's one bridge to God. And that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. You may try to do good things. You may try to be a good person. But that will not earn you enough points to get to God. I promise you. And so the cross is offensive because it strikes at the human heart. You say, well, what do I do? Well, it's not good works that will earn your way to heaven. It's trusting what Jesus has done. It's trusting in what Jesus has done and receiving that gift uh, that he's offered to us. I'll sort of describe it like this. In Isaiah, Isaiah writes this, that, that our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. What that means is the best you have to offer, the best I have to offer is like a nasty, filthy rag before God. Say you were invited to the finest restaurant in New York City. The finest restaurant, you know, the arrangements are going to be made. You're going to be flown into New York City from Syracuse. Uh, You want to dress your best. And this is amazing. I mean, the the people that are going to be there, you want to be around. And and the atmosphere is going to be great. and, And you want to get ready, right? And so you find your best tux or your best suit if you're a guy. Or you find your best dress as a woman. And you're like, this is going to be perfect. This is amazing. But somehow, some way, you, something gets twisted in your mind, and you start taking that outfit that you chose, and you drag it through the mud. You, you let people run all over it. Uh, you use it as a rag to wipe up your dog's vomit. You know? 
uh, and it just gets really nasty and smelly. You put that on and you get escorted to New York City and you stand at the door of that restaurant. What do you think they're going to say to you? Uh, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, ma'am. You're, you're not welcome here today. But I have a reservation. I was invited. Look. And you could show them the card, the invitation. It doesn't matter. You don't belong there. Why? Because you're, what you've put on, what you're, what you're wearing is like, it's filthy. It's nasty. It's like filthy rags. You know what I'm saying? And we try and do that to God. You know, we try and earn our way to God by, by uh, doing good things. You know, I'm a churchgoer. I'm a kind person. You know, I love people well. Did you see me stop and take care of that person who had a flat tire? God, you know, but I'm good. How could this ever happen to me? We try and earn our way to God. We bypass the cross. And let me tell you what waits when we try and go. There's, a, there's this chasm between us and God, right? And, and the cross is the, one, is the one thing that fills this chasm so that we can be in relationship with God, so that we can connect with him. When we try to bypass the cross, it's like filthy rags to God. Our, good enough, our best is not good enough to God. I want us to get this. The, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. See, the cross declares that you have to come God's way. If you try and go another way, it's not going to work. There's one way, and that's God's way. Do you remember, uh, some of you may, re- may remember, when Jesus literally hung on the cross, there were two thieves, one on each side of him, right? There were two thieves, that, and most of us uh, acknowledge the one that cried out to Jesus. We acknowledge what he did, you know, he, he said, uh, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And, and Jesus, with this grand response, says, Today, surely today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. But oftentimes, we don't think about the other thief, the other guy, the one who blasphemed and cursed Jesus, and he never had a change of mind or a change of heart. You see, the cross is this great dividing line, you know, it can be a bridge for those who choose to go across it, or it could be a barrier that could keep you from God. And so what we see in these thieves is, you know, uh, uh, one thief was saved and one thief was lost. Because to him, the cross was foolishness. To one, the cross was foolishness. To the other, it was the power of God into salvation. Are you with me so far? Does this make sense? You see, the cross is beautiful to those who are being saved. It's amazing. It's a wonderful thing. But to those who choose to ignore the goodness of God, or maybe they say, I can do this on my own, they're missing the point, and they will miss all that God has to offer if they don't take that bridge to the other side. You see, the cross is our bridge to God. And so I want to give you uh, three brief points as it relates to the cross being a bridge or how amazing uh, what Jesus did on the cross for us is in elements that I did not talk about last week, okay? And so I've got three things. The first one is this. Because of the cross, because of the cross, I know I am loved by God. Just, just, mutter that, just utter that in your, in your heart, in your head today. I know I'm loved by God. You know, sometimes people really question that. But it's the cross. It's, it's the cross that sends the greatest message of God's love. 
There's nothing that he could have done that sends a greater, more profound, more pronounced message of love than the cross of Jesus Christ. Some of us may think otherwise, but, but the cross is the masterpiece of God's love. It's, it's love's masterpiece. The cross is, is God's amazing way of saying, I love you. That's the message of the cross. Because the Bible defines the love of God towards sinners in two very specific words. You want to know my love? You got to look at the cross. You want to know about my love? You got to look at the cross. And so many times we fail uh, to look at the cross, but the cross is the focal point of God's love. It's the focal point of God's love. And the reality is this, the cross is God motivated by love coming down, uh, going after the lost, chasing down sinners, chasing down those who are far from him, um, reclaiming them, redeeming them, repositioning them so that they are now his. Now, they, now, now they're in relationship with him, elevating them to a place they don't even deserve. That's the cross. He's chased us down. He's expressed our love. Uh, to us. Now, in Romans chapter 5, we need to see this. Romans chapter 5, we need to see that uh, God's expression of love is through the cross. It says this in verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Yet, uh, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly bear to die. And here's, here's the key verse I want to land on. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How did God demonstrate his love for us? While we were still sinners. While we were still enemies of God. While we were still on the opposite end of the spectrum relationally with God. He sent his son to die for us. Now, that, that passage can be a little bit confusing uh, to people. And, and I just want to sort of break it down a little bit. Because it says this, uh, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. See, a, a righteous person we may respect. You know, someone who's a really, uh, you know, they're holy. They're, they don't really do anything wrong in our eyes. They, don't, they, they really don't break God's law. A righteous person we may have respect for. And it says in, in the word of God, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. It's rare. It may happen, but it's rare. And then he goes on to say, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. You see him uh, uh, trying to distinguish between a righteous person, a good person, excuse me, a righteous person and a good person. That's what he's doing. He's, he's trying to say that uh, it's rare that someone will die for a righteous person. It's, it's a little bit less rare that someone may die for a good person. You may know a good person. And you may say, you know, I'd lay my life down for you. I've heard people say that before. You know, I'd lay my, you're a good, you're a good man. You're a good person. I'd lay... Uh, my life down for you. And, and really, a good person is someone that we love. You know, you'd lay your life down for someone you love, right? 
It's a little bit more common that someone would lay down their life for a good person than a righteous person. But the reality is we were neither. You've got to get this. We were not righteous. We were not good before God. We were neither. And it says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't righteous or good. And that is the message of the cross. And so um, I, I just love the beautiful picture that it shows that it doesn't matter how good you are or how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how much you do right. The reality is it's not good enough. Christ died for us while we were sinners, while we were apart from him. And you might say, well, how does that, how does that demonstrate God's love for us? Listen, he, we were his enemies. And he said, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to do the greatest thing that I could do to express my love. And that's send my son to right the wrong between me and mankind. And you might say, well, I, you know, I get the cross. I think it's cool. But the reality is, I wish, you know, I think God could have expressed his love in a better way. Maybe he could have given me millions of dollars, you know. I think... If he gave me millions of dollars, then I would really know he loved me. That would be a greater message to me than the cross. But here's the problem. If you had millions of dollars, your sins would never be taken care of. And you would die an ungodly millionaire. Right? Here's the other problem. Your life would never be different. And you would die in the same mess that you started in. You see, the cross, the cross, the cross, uh, the purpose of the cross or the, the, um, the conclusion of the cross is through what Jesus did there, our sins can be forgiven. Our lives can be transformed. And you could be a millionaire who's the same mess you were before you ever found God. If, the, if you think God's message of the cross is foolishness and you'd rather have money, you know, I'm just, you just got to work with me. Well, what about heaven? What about eternity? Well, surely having money is not going to deal with eternity. It's not going to get you in a place where you are right before God. You are in right standing before God. Are you hearing me? Is this making sense? You know, you may think in your mind that God should have done something else to express his love. And here's the last thought I have about the million dollars or the multi-millions of dollars. It would be good to have those. Let me, don't get me wrong. But God's expression of love through the cross is millions of times better than millions of dollars. What about God's wrath? See, God's wrath wouldn't have been satisfied with you having some money in your pocket. But through the cross, Jesus Christ satisfies, satisfied God's wrath so that we could be forgiven. In 1 John 4.10, I want you to see this powerful verse. This summarizes what I'm saying about uh, God's expression of love. I know I'm loved by God. 1 John 4.10 says this. This is love. You want a definition of love? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, to love someone who is anti-you, you know, uh, to, to love someone who does exactly the opposite of what you would want them to do, to love someone who is opposed to you, who expresses hatred to you, is a big, big deal. That's what God did to mankind. 
And so the, the cross is God's expression, the greatest expression of love the earth has ever known. The greatest expression of love. That's the first thought. So because of the cross, I know I'm loved by God. Here's the second thought I want to share with you. Because of the cross, I know my value to God. Let me tell you something. The cross speaks of your value to God. You know, I run into people all the time, and I'm sure there's some of us in this room that feel like we don't matter. Like, I'm, my life is insignificant. I don't matter. I don't matter to people. You know, it wouldn't matter if I disappeared. It wouldn't matter if I fell off the end of the earth. It wouldn't matter. I, I, I'm not valuable. I'm not valued in people's eyes. And the cross is the expression of God's value to you. I want to describe it uh, in a different way. But the cross reveals your value. Here, here's how I'll describe it. You know, and if you're going to pay for something, if you're going to go buy something, there's no way in the world you're going to pay three, four times what it's worth, are you? You know, say you want to buy a car. The sticker says $15,000. The salesman says, I will give you this car at a great deal because today is Sunday and I'm happy today. $60,000 and it's yours. <laughs> Who's going to take that offer? If you did, you wouldn't be walking away smiling or at least smiling for too long, right? No one pays more for something than what it's worth. If you were to buy a house, and you know, the market value for this house, the house just sold for $100,000, you know, it's been on the market, it would, had been on the market for a long time, at $110,000, the owners marked it down to $100,000, and finally it sold. Guess what? The house is worth $100,000, if the owner does nothing and turns around and tries to sell it for $400,000, do you think you got do you think that's what the house is worth? No. You're going to pay you're going to pay for something what you think it's worth. Now there's a few things that determine value. And I'm going somewhere with this because the cross shows us our value to God. There's three things that determine our value. The previous owner the previous owner, like, for example, famous people who have ordinary things make those ordinary things worth something of greater value. I'll give you an example. If I were walking around with a pair of uh, LeBron James game-worn shoes on right now, you could buy those shoes for 150 bucks at the store, but because LeBron James wore those shoes, those shoes are now worth thousands of dollars. The, the Bible that's used to swear in uh, presidents and, and key people in, in uh, government, or at least was recently the, the Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's Bible. You know, you could go down to the dollar store and buy a Bible for a buck. You know what I mean? It's not the Bible that's worth great value. It's the previous owner that determines the value of that specific Bible. You know, a Vincent Van Gogh painting. You can look at it and it says, what is this? This looks like a big mess to me. I don't even know what he's trying to show, right? But it could be worth millions of dollars because he is the previous owner of this painting. So one thing that determines value is the previous owner. The second thing is what somebody is willing to pay for. it. I once had a car that I admired at that time greatly. It was a Mitsubishi Eclipse. And I had, I had driven it for three, four years um, and I love the car. It was just, but it was just time to sell for me. 
And I valued it highly. In fact, I priced my value, my high value of that car a little bit too high, and no one bought it. I thought the value was $5,000, but no one else did. You get what I mean? So what somebody is willing to pay for something determines value. I had to mark it down to about $3,000 before it would sell. Um, and here's, so, so a previous owner determines value. What someone is willing to pay for it determines value. And here's the last thought. Who made it? Who made it? I'll give you an example. There's this uh, maker of violins called Stradivarius. And these violins, especially if you get some of the original, uh, most rare violins, are worth millions of dollars. You can put that side by side with a violin that sounds way better, that's newer, and that, that's, that violin that sounds better and is newer is not as valuable as that Stradivarius violin. And so let me just bring this back to what, uh, what, what I'm trying to say. Listen to me. You belong to God. You are made in his image. He is your maker. You are valuable to him. He paid for you with his life. Listen, the Bible says that Jesus Christ paid for us. He purchased us at a price, and that price was his very life. We are valuable to God. The cross proves you're valuable. The cross proves and makes a statement that you are acceptable. You are worth it. The enemy will, will, will speak into your mind, and I know many of us in this room have heard him say, you know what, you're worthless. And you start hearing these things, you know, you're worthless. It doesn't matter. No one cares. No one loves you. What do you do? See, the cross speaks exactly opposite of that. When you start to hear things that tear you down, just know that that's not God. Reject that voice. Say, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but that's not what my God says about me. I matter to him. I'm valuable to him. And his voice and his word carries a lot more meaning to me than you do. So based upon these three things, you know, uh, what someone was willing to pay, the original maker, and uh, the previous owner, what is your value? What is, what is your personal value? I, I need to drive this home because, you know, uh, identity is the biggest, to me, is the biggest issue in Christianity. People really don't know who they are. People don't know what God has done for them. People don't know how God looks at them. People don't know how God values them. And the cross, the cross speaks volumes about our value to God. I want to I share a verse with you. It says in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. I'll just read this real quick. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down from you, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You see, Christ valued so, you so much that he, he said, I'm going to lay my life down for that person. It's the greatest price he could pay. You know, had he had it, uh, would he have given 100 bucks for you? Absolutely. But that wasn't, that wasn't the selling price. Had he had it, would he have given 1000 bucks for you? Absolutely. 
But that was not the selling price. What if, what if the selling price was $10 million? Had he had it, would he have given it? Absolutely. But that was not the selling price. The selling price to redeem you, the price that Christ paid, was his life. He shed his blood. The greatest thing that any person could ever do. And the message is this. Because of the cross, I know that I'm valuable to God. I know that I'm valuable to God. If you're here today and you walked in here today and you think, you know what? All this mess going on in my life, does God really love me? Does God really care? You know, I've been struggling. Life's hard. I have no hope. I'm not filled with joy. You need to know through the cross, God demonstrated his love for you. He said, you matter to me. Does it mean you, 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 should be going, you shouldn't be going through stuff? Oh, you're going to go through stuff. But you need to know in the midst of it that his love is amazingly abundant and available to you. You need to know that his value, the way he sees you is you are his precious gem. You, you, the Bible says you're the apple of his eye. His thoughts towards you are more than the sand that is on the seashore. You matter to God. Don't ever think that he favors other people over you. Don't ever think that you don't matter and someone else does. Don't ever think God is mad at you and because of that he's turned his back on you and doesn't care. No, he is a loving, caring father. He is good. And he's good all the time. We need to get that deep down in our hearts and in our souls because the reality is the enemy is always waiting right there to pluck those, the, that reality out of us. You know, to convince us otherwise about how God views us, how God values us. The enemy will do whatever he can to convince us otherwise. Because once you're convinced of that, you can't be who God created you to be. You know? And he has a plan. He wants you to, he wants you to know that you're loved abundantly. He, he wants you to know that you're valued beyond, beyond measure to him. Why? Because he's a loving father. He wants to be in relationship with us. And he has a mission on this earth. And that brings me to my third point. Because of the cross, I can live my life for God. See, this is where a lot of us get tripped up. We get caught up in the fact that God, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not, you know. And we, we, we question God's goodness. We question uh, uh, God's, God's word when he says, man, I can't tell you any other way that I love you the way I do. I mean, there's, I've already expressed it the best way I can by sending my son to die for you. But we get caught up in our value in God's love and we question it, we doubt it, we have good days and bad days and we, we get caught in this cycle and that, what, what that does is it renders us ineffective in the kingdom of God. He wants us convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt, no matter what's going on in our lives, what people say, what the enemy says. He, he wants us to say, listen to me, greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Listen to me, he loves me. I don't care what anything, or what, what any uh, demon from hell says. I don't care what happens in my life. I know that he loves me. I know that he values me. And I know that I'm here for a purpose. And so here's my last point. I can live my life for God. Because of the cross, I can live my life for God. 
We can live our lives free from fear. We can live our lives based upon his love and acceptance. To know who we really are. We are, we are our, 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 our kings. We are queens. We are princes before God. With great value. With great value. We can live to do the things that he's called us to do. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, this is what he says. And he died for all. I want you to see this. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. You see that? He died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What that is saying is, listen, I gave you my life. I want you to give me yours. I want you to give me your life. I want you to surrender your life to me. Because I have amazing plans to use you. Plans that will blow your mind. Plans to touch people's lives and change people's lives. But we get caught up in living for ourselves, pleasing ourselves, doing our thing, you know? And he's saying, Paul's saying, we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. In Titus, it says this, 2.14, Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. In these last six words, I want you to see, eager to do what is good. If you have a different translation, maybe King James, New King James, New American Standard, it says something like this, zealous for good works. Zeal is like passion, passionate to do the things of God, passionate to please our maker, passionate to love him. That's why he gave himself for us. Um, on Friday night, my wife and I and uh, some family had, had the privilege of going to uh, a worship concert at the SRC Arena, which is at OCC there. And it was a, it was a worship band called Elevation Worship. And they, they were just amazing. Uh, they did a great job. But the whole theme of the night was called Elevating Haiti. And this, this thing... Uh, this thing was birthed in a couple that goes to church in Rochester, the, the concept of it. Uh, there's this couple, they're just, you know, just people going about life. They, uh, husband and wife, they loved each other. They ended up going to Haiti on a mission trip. And while in Haiti, they observed that these children were starving. I mean, kids would have like a morsel to eat every two days. These kids were malnourished. They would go to school, but they couldn't focus on school because they were hungry uh, and so when, when the husband saw this, he's like, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. There's, there's got to be something that could be done. And so he came back and he's thinking, you know, maybe I can grow wheat. We could grow wheat in Haiti. Maybe we can find a way to help them generate food for themselves so that they can feed their children. And so uh, after a period of time talking to people, doing some studying, uh, he came up with a system that these people in Haiti, the, the, the educators, the, the school, could feed their children. And right now, because of this method, and I don't recall all the details, but because of this method, they said 2,500 children per day are being fed. 2,500. Now listen, 
The week before, they were just sitting in church thinking, uh, you know, I, I don't know, God, I'd love for you to use me. I, I'd love for you to, I just want to give my life to you. I, I want my life to be, to matter. I want, I want you to use me. And little did they know God was setting them up. And this is why I tell you the story. God is setting each and every one of us up. Listen to me. We need to get over the fact that God doesn't love us. He loves us. We need to get over the fact that we are not valuable, that we don't matter. We are valuable to God. And once we, we capture that, those, those two elements of our faith, those fundamental things that we need to stand upon, we can go out of this place and we can say, you know what, I don't know how you're going to use me, God, but I'm going to trust that you're going to bring me to the right places at the right time in front of the right people to use me. They are changing. This couple from Rochester are changing the world. They're now taking their story to places all around the nation to raise money to feed more kids in Haiti. Isn't that amazing? I mean, come on. What if, what if each and every one of us would say, you know what, God, I don't know what it looks like for me. You know, I would say this about myself, so don't get offended about what I'm going to say. Sometimes I think I'm not that smart. Sometimes, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really have the most creative ideas. But you know what? You created me to be me. And I know that you have a plan for me. I don't know exactly what that plan looks like. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you know what? I just echo what that couple said. God, would you use me? God, would you use me? Listen, because of the cross, I can live my life for God. Here's the last verse I'll share with you. Matthew 5, 16. Jesus says these words. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, when we start to step out and get used by God, people are going to see that and they're going to give glory and praise and honor to God because of it. We've got to settle the matter in our hearts. We've got to settle the matter in our hearts. I am loved by God. Would you say that with me? I am loved by God. It's because of the cross. And we've got to settle the matter in our hearts. I know my value to God. Would you say that with me? I know my value to God. And here's the last phrase I'll ask you to say. Because God loves me, because God values me, I know he can use me. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I'll just close with a few thoughts today. The cross is such a powerful force for us. It's such a powerful force. And it's important to note that the cross of Christ is a demonstration of God's love. It's a demonstration of God's love, not for the deserving, because no one deserved it, right? It's a demonstration of God's love for the undeserving. We did not deserve his love, but he gave it to us anyway. And this message, I want you to get this. This is not, I don't want this to be about information. You know, we can walk around and, and, and quote things and say things. The reality is God's desire is to transform us, to transform us from the inside out, that we know that we know that we know who we are before God, that we know that we know that we know that we are loved, that we are valuable. 
And if you'd open your hearts today, I want to pray for you that God would begin to transform and take us to a new level of knowing that reality before his eyes. Amen? Let's pray. Father, today, Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your goodness over our lives. God, we couldn't even scratch the surface of the reality of the goodness that you've expressed, the love that you've expressed through sending your son to the cross. And I pray for fresh revelation for us. But Father, that each and every one of us would walk out of this place knowing that we are loved deeply, dearly, profoundly by a a loving Father in heaven. And that we're valuable, that we wouldn't look in the mirror again and say, you know, you don't matter. You're ugly. You're insignificant. No, we wouldn't utter the words that come from the mouth of Satan. We We would speak life, God, that we are valuable to you that we matter, that we're here with a purpose, that we're going to make a difference in this world. We're going to change this world one person at a time. Father, I bless your people. Father, this week, I pray, Father, that they would have encounters and opportunities to express your love to people. Lord, that great love that they've encountered, they've experienced, that they would share it with others. And so, Lord, we give you praise right now. I bless them. I bless them, Father. May their homes be blessed. May their hearts be blessed. May their families be blessed, God. May, may Just bless them financially, God. And we thank you for what you're doing, God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen.